You're listening to Curators of Culture with Tina Ziegler, a podcast brought to you by Monica Culture and supported by the Monica Foundation. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Welcome to the first podcast session brought to you by Monica Culture. On this podcast, we speak with some of today's leading curators from the urban and new contemporary art movement, the Curators of Culture. This podcast is supported by Monica Foundation. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Andrew Hosner. Andrew is the co-owner and curator of the amazing ThinkSpace Gallery in Los Angeles, California. Equally influencer and generator of inputs, he is regarded as one of the most important authorities in all things new contemporary and urban art. I've known Andrew and his wife, Sean, since I was around 17 years old, I think, when I would travel down from Santa Barbara to go visit some of his first exhibitions. He has been a huge inspiration for my career as a curator and fair director, and I'm sure to many other curators around the world. Andrew is a bit of a superhero in our industry. I can't think of any other gallery in the world that is as active as ThinkSpace. Looking at ThinkSpace's roster and website, it's a bit overwhelming to see just how much they get up to. From the multiple shows a month in the gallery, to museum exhibitions, to partner shows with galleries around the world, to mural festivals, to every damn thing in between, I have always wondered how he does it. So today we are here to figure that out and get some advice from the man himself. Welcome, Andrew. It's so good to have you. Thank you, Tina. That was uh, humbling, to say the least. Appreciate your uh, words. Thank you. Oh my God. You know I'm a big fan. So I know, but I'm just, uh, I'm a humble guy and it's always, yeah, sometimes it's amazing to hear it all back. It's like, whew, we do, we do keep busy. Yeah, well, you do keep busy. And I think when you're so kind of close to the screen, like you guys are producing so much stuff, it, you do need to take a, a step back and a breather to just look at the massive amount of shows and projects you guys have done. I mean, how many, what's the number now? What are you up to? How many exhibitions have you done? Well, when we did the uh, all the press and launch for our 15-year show, which was last January, I think we had figured out that we had just, like, somewhere along the last six months or so, like, broke the 500 mark in terms of just, like, exhibitions, events, special events, book signings, just anything that would be, like, an event, I guess, of some kind. So we're probably, by the end of this uh, year, we'll, we'll be pretty close to probably about uh, 560, 570, something like that. But it's been a minute since I've counted in uh don't plan to again anytime soon. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe for our twenty year, we'll do another big recap count. But um, yeah, it was pretty overwhelming when we did our fifteen year show back in um, January of twenty twenty. We had put together a big uh, friend of ours that does woodworking um, and is an amazing artist in his own right. Uh, Spencer Little uh, stepped up and was like, "Hey, man!" And he's like, "I can help you with your vision for the show because I wanted to have like a big, like ten foot fifteen made out of wood that." Elsie and I would then go in and um, we went into our postcard archive over the last 15 years and did a collage. And to this day, it's still one of the cooler things we've done. And uh, we didn't keep them and I kind of kicked myself that we didn't. We should have. But it was pretty neat. And it, was, it honestly got almost as much attention as uh, the show just because people were like lining up and you saw people kind of going, oh, I remember that show. I was at that show. And it was uh, a cool little walk down memory lane and also like really special to see all our patrons kind of interacting with it and stuff. And it really kind of brought to light how much craziness we've done because sometimes um like you said when you're right there like in in front of it all sometimes uh you're not taking it in so much you need to step back sometimes and uh when we were uh 
getting ready to move during COVID is when we really realized because we had been in that spot, I think, for nine years straight. And it was crazy. Some of the stuff that we uncovered and uh, whatnot as we, get, we as we prepared to move and just like all these crazy little archives of just little knickknacks that like we found like this whole archive of uh, drawings that uh, Yosuke Oeno had did like probably yeah. seven, seven, eight, seven, eight years ago during the show, just when he was like, you know, watching paint dry almost you could say um for like when he was working on his murals and a couple last minute paintings he would just be constantly doodling all over these uh sheets of paper and stuff um kind of ideas and just boredom passing stuff and um i mean I, I he basically left it discarded you know when he was done with the installation and went back but i you know was like oh, i'm gonna collect this stuff this is you know cool to have and now all these years later he's become you know quite the in-demand artist and never does small works anymore and yeah. I found these when we were moving. I hit them up. I'm like, dude, I should frame these and put them up on the shop, you know, as a cool little give back to your fans that, you know, you know, even chase prints now, you know, because his prints are getting kind of hard to get. And uh, he was like, you know, no one would want that. You know, you're crazy. And I'm like, no, let's give it a shot. And he was like, man, he's like, if you want to. And we framed up like 15 of these little like scraps of, you know, I mean, amazing little pieces, I have to say. But to yeah. him, you know, scrap scraps. I mean, they all sold out within like five minutes of going live on the shop to fans around the world that were just so stoked. And he was just cracking up. He was just like, I think I should do that again for my fans. And I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like, I'm like, they were, you know, super, super jazz. And it was just, it, it just uh, shows like how much I guess we've done. I mean, it's just, um, this is now our, our, our fourth space. Each space is like pretty much doubled or tripled in size. And um, it's just uh, exciting to kind of be going into this next uh, chapter of, uh, of the world as a whole since I guess uh, the new normal is is ahead of us. So when you look back at like, yeah, like finding that little, the sketches of Yosuke from years back and the archive of all the stuff you've done, are you, you know, now you're, you know, you're mentioning Yosuke from six, seven years ago and the artist he is today. I mean, you must have that endlessly with the portfolio of ThinkSpace and what you guys have done. Like so many artists started and were born through your gallery and you guys have, literally been documenting and producing and curating the whole subculture that we know now as new and urban contemporary art. Do you look back and you kind of see those moments in history, those those moments where that movement shifted, where your gallery like directly had that impact on the way that artists evolved? I mean, I know you do that consistently day in but day out, but were there key benchmarks or moments in, in time where you're like, wow, that a shift happened there? Um, with an artist or with a show or something like that? There's a lot of them. Um, I guess it would kind of depend on like particular ones and like, because I mean, there, I mean, honestly, it's, it's pretty wild. We've had so many. Um, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're entering, you know, middle of our 16th year right now. And um, I, 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 I mean, we constantly just chuckle um, in amusement and just amusement, I guess would be a better term just because, we're baffled by it all. Um, I mean, we love that we've continued to grow and grow and grow and that our family's been accepted worldwide. And we constantly say that, you know, we'd be nothing without the artists that we, you know, work so hard to provide a platform for. And um, a lot of it, I will say, was right place, right time. When we came on, the LA art scene was just kind of really starting to go international thanks to the internet and everything else that was taken off about you know right around the 20 year ago mark things were you know starting to get really popular for cannibal flower which is our partner's old art pop-up uh that he used to do we were big patrons of that we were deep in the 
thick of the art scene doing Sour Harvest, which was back then just our blog. And um, I don't think we ever thought looking ahead, you know, so many years later that uh, this crazy little uh, notion that we had one day off of uh, Melrose when our, I think our first spot would now fit into our storage shed. And I remember your I mean, yeah, and, that, and it was amazing, but it was just a moment in time. I mean, the fact that you know, Johan from Lincoln Park just happened to open a spot right across the street from us right when we did. The fact that he wandered into our first show and bought a bunch of work and befriended us. And then that led to us curating a number of shows at Suru, which led to us, you know, getting our foot in the door in terms of, I guess, Hollywood and elite and that buying spectrum out here. You know, basically, you know, being presented by, you know, one of its, you know, favorite folks with Joe. I mean, Joe and Lincoln Park were like super, super uber connected back then and blowing up at the time. So, I mean, them kind of got, kind of going, you know, hey, Think Space is the rad, you know, new dudes on the block, check out their show they're curating for us in tandem with all the other cool stuff we offer at the shop, really just kind of helped really kick things into the next gear. And then once we moved out to Silver Lake and we were in the heart of things there and right around the corner from the 4200 bar, which is like the super popular bar, we were highly endorsed by uh, Doers and uh, a couple other places, a uh, uh, couple other things, back, uh, Doers and Grolsch. So we were like, you know, the tune-up place, you know, and not to mention a great place to check out great art and stuff. And then we moved to Culver City and took things up a notch there in terms of profession and, and just, you know, competing with the big dogs, so to speak, and getting our name out there. And now with the new spot, we're, you know, right in the heart of a brand new, you know, burgeoning arts district that's been building over the last few years and is now really set to kind of go to the next level as a lot more galleries are moving over in like, you know, next year or two. It's just uh, an exciting, exciting time for us as a gallery, not to mention, you know, to be able to continue to grow with so many of the artists that we started with. I mean, I think that's one of the things that uh, is a testament to how we do things is that there's so many artists that are with us, you know. I mean, there's a lot of artists that were in our first show that are still with us to this day. And there's a lot of artists that, you know, definitely had their first big show and now continue to kind of grow and grow and grow and grow with us. Um, artists that maybe three, four years ago were a fifth of the price point that they're at now. Um, things are really starting to move at a much more blue chip scale in some ways for some of our artists. Um, as we get bigger, the breadth gets bigger of, you know, the bandwidth, so to speak, of how many people are seeing their work. Like, I mean, just Georgie Co., for example. I mean, yeah. three years ago, they were doing small, small shows um, at Giant Robot, which is an amazing space here in uh, Los Angeles, ran by a very good friend of ours. And it was obvious that they were just, you know, needing to, to branch out. And we were fans, and it just kind of came up organically one day. And, you know, we did their first show, like, solo, Back in March of 2020, um, they were in the project room when James Blue was in the front. It was the last show before COVID. I mean, like four days after the opening, things went to utter hell. That show sold out right away. It was, you know, 10 smaller works. And they then pretty much dove right into this new show that just opened up um, a month ago. And when the preview went out for this new show, I mean, we could all tell um, the artists and us, and I think everybody kind of watching that there was something going on. Um, and right before our show, they had had a big show over in Amsterdam at this space called The Garage. So, I mean, things were definitely kind of buzzing on an international scale for them. And this recent show, I mean, uh, was just insane. I mean, they did works that were, you know, bigger than anything they'd ever dreamt of. We introduced meter tall sculptures and all sorts of things. And, um, the show sold out like just instantly. I mean, a week before preview and I mean, every day of the show, we probably had like 10, 20 new uh, patrons getting in touch for their work. 
And um, obviously that's a big testament to their work as well. And it's not all us by any means, um, but it is just a good indicator of just how quickly things are going right now for some artists um, that we work with, not to mention, I think just the art scene in general right now is on fast forward. It's really easy for an artist just to rocket themselves these days. Um, so we never, you know, lose sight of that. And yeah. with that said, that's also what drives us to work so fucking hard because, you know, and I tell artists that all the time when they're thinking about, you know, maybe after a couple of years of really growing with us, it's time to like, okay, let me try on some other shoes. Let me, you know, get out there a little bit. And we get that. We don't want to be controlling. But at the same time, you know, we are hoping to really drive the ship once it starts taking off out of the docks. And, you know, I always, one of the things I say all the time is that the art world, especially your career, is very much like a game of chess. And each move so influences the next move after that, if not four or five moves down the line. And you have to be mindful of that. And you can't go from doing a big show at a gallery like us to doing a smaller show in a secondary or tertiary market at a gallery that's half our size and expect it to not have a negative impact in terms of perception from press collectors on down the line. Um, you've got to really be mindful of outside eyes and also just making sure that, you know, I mean, if you've been with us, we've been kicking fucking ass night and day to earn our 50%. And I don't think there's a yeah. person on the planet that's worked with us that would argue that. But if you're then going to go from, you know, high atop the mountain and then go down to mid mountain and, you know, give said gallery the, your best show again, and then they take 50% for doing 10% of the work we just did. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things you just have to look at. It's like, you know, when you get up to having a, a strong demand and a strong worth, make sure that whoever you're giving that percentage to is fucking working just as hard as you or why fucking go somewhere else? Yeah. You know? And you know, something I always tell folks is, you know, okay, that's cool. They're offering you a solo show, but where were they, you know, two, three years ago. So why don't you just do a year or two of, you know, some fairs or some shows, group shows with them, give them three or four pieces, see what happens. You know, I mean, ugh, date before you marry. Um, and we always do that with people we work with, you know, it's like, Hey man, I'd to do a show with you in a couple of years let's get you a couple pieces out here let's see how things go let's see if you know we get on well you know because uh, a solo is a marriage i mean that's a lot of fucking work i mean you're gonna be working really closely with each other for at least a year and then you know it's all kind of comes down to that week of the preview and three hour opening and all of a sudden it's over in the grand scheme of things it's a lot um for an artist's psyche to take on and we've tried to become and we feel we always have been pretty in tune with just trying to like, you know, consider that at all times. You know, we just had a big show in New York with Dulk that's been over for two months now, but I just had a long conversation with him just prior to this, just kind of finishing up on things, working things out, you know, during this, you know, he had some health issues come up, he had a baby, you know, I mean, he's working on a huge new museum show. He's just had a lot of things rocking. Um, so it was just, you know, just a catch up call and we've got another big show next year. So you know, we just want to make sure that everything's, you know, doing doing what it needs to do, so to speak. Well, yeah, a big part of what you do with InSpace is that management, right? The management of the artist's career from start to finish, really, and that guiding. And that's something that I've kind of always really respected from what you guys do. You, like, have this really nice balance between those artists, you know, those top names, everybody knows, the artists that started with ThinkSpace 15 years ago that are still there rocking it with you. And then there's this constant <laughs> showcase of new talent. Like you're just constantly discovering new talent and bringing them into the forefront. And, you know, just by exhibiting with ThinkSpace, they get some sort of popularity, they get recognition and respect. 
that they wouldn't normally get from other galleries or they might not have gotten. So how do you kind of, is that just all going off of your gut? Like, how do you really balance the bringing in new talent, finding that new talent, and then managing all the artists that you have these long-term relationships with that can be complicated? Like, can you walk us through that process? No, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, as more and more artists that we work with are definitely kind of going into that mid-career, kind of really starting to take off level of their career, we have, you know, realized that we needed to in some capacity pull back somewhere. So um, going into this year, we've, you know, actively pulled back on like the 100 artists traveling group shows, which we'll miss to some regards. We'll do one a year is kind of where we're at instead of three a year, which we had been doing. I think we even did four a year in 18 and 19. And um, but with that said, it's an amazing thing to be able to. I mean, sometimes just an artist that just gets, you know, one run through the year of, you know, 12 by 12 LAX shows, it definitely helps their profile. It definitely helps, you know, elevate their stature. I feel it definitely helps bring a lot of new attention to their, you know, socials, maybe not so much in this past year, thanks to Instagram and the uh, ever present butt fuckery of their algorithm. But past that, I mean, everything else is just definitely a good thing. Um, but we're pulling back on those just so we can focus more on our core. But we're never going to develop, abandon, I should say, we're never going to abandon, you know, bringing up new artists all the time. Um, right now, Ken Wadabu from Nigeria, who we just had a big solo show with, um, yeah, is, conti- is, is continuing to introduce me to some incredible new talent throughout his country um, that are friends of his. And it's also led to, you know, delving into uh, many other countries throughout Africa uh, that we're being introduced to and um it's just so yeah we've got some incredible 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 new talent that we're going to be uh, starting to introduce just in our viewing room slash office area so that's going to become a little bit more of our uh incubator in a way um over the year ahead we've got a number of artists that are just going to be sending in two three pieces at a time that will debut in there and uh continue to kind of uh make sure that we're always debuting new talent not to mention you know doing what we can to everywhere else um because we'll be doing some outside curating um as well with the notion of the lax shows as the basis but not so much hosting them i guess you could say um so we're always going to you know keep doing that the best we can um it's just something that i can't stop myself from doing i love art i I find myself going down a rabbit hole every night and my wife's like put the fucking phone away let's relax um and i get it and i've also been more and more mindful of that as i get older i have to you know be be weary of that and stuff but um there's no formula there's there's i mean people ask me all the time where we find artists or how we find the artists or do I, did i wake up wanting to find a landscape artist or a, you know hyper realist artist today or you know an abstract artist you know and i was just like and i'm always like man i'm like no i'm like i i, I will find artists in the in the damnedest of places. Um, and then sometimes, and you know, I mean, like, like I just said with, with, uh, with Nuabu, um, he, he, you know, was like, Hey, check out my friends. And then it turns out he's got a small, you know, click of artists that, you know, he's kind of almost their teacher and, um, half of them, um, have been in pretty good contact with me and I've started following the other half as well. Um, and we're probably going to have him do like a little curated show, in one of our galleries in a couple of years of, of, of his, uh, I guess, students, for lack of a better term. I think that's really exciting to be able to offer an opportunity like that for a, you know, a group of young artists halfway around the world. What we were able to do for uh, Ken was incredible. I mean, he and I were just talking the other day, 
And uh, he was just like, man, he's like, he's like, I've got opportunities coming left, right and center. You know, he's like, he's like, just so many things have opened up, you know, and he's like, and the love and press back home, you know, the fact that I've had a big show in Los Angeles, California, you know, it's just, it's really, it's really been a big, big thing for him. Um, Not to mention, like he told me, it's just lifted up his confidence tenfold. And um, things like that, you know, get me a little teary when we think about it, because it's just like, all we want to do is be able to, to, you know, provide somebody like that the opportunity to be able to live off the gift that they're given. I went to art school um, when I was a kid, took a lot of, you know, private classes, things of that nature. I definitely got like some basic skills, but, you know, when people always ask me, are you an artist? And I'm like, no, 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 no. But I know what it takes to even become a half-assed one, let alone an amazing one that others look up to and successful and and it's, you know, it's a chosen career. I mean, people, some people luck into it and have some moderate success for a flash in the pan, let's say. But to really, you know, be an amazing, incredible artist that's able to paint for 15, 20 years or more, reach that mid-career level and keep pushing, it is a fucking task. And it yeah. should be looked up to and respected. It's a lot of work. And not to mention just be able to continue to, come up with content that everyone's excited by. Um, sometimes you're your own worst enemy with that, you know, and it's tough. Um, sometimes we know, like we're working with a couple of artists right now that aren't quite ready for prime time, I guess is the the notion of like my little yeah. saying, yeah, but, yeah. With, but with a couple of years of like nurturing, staying in close contact with and, you know, putting in a group show here or there and just letting them know that, Hey, you know, not dangling a carrot for fuck's sakes, but at the same time going, man, I know it's there. Just let us fucking push you a little bit, take on some of these opportunities and we are going to do a big show soon, but please, you know, don't jump at the first, you know, shiny, you know, carrot that somebody else might be dangling. In the meantime, trust that we want to make your first show as strong as it can be and don't, you know, put some work out there that is too inspired by somebody else, but you know, just wait. I mean, Jao Ruas is a perfect example of that when Audrey Kawasaki introduced him, I, I would say, to the world when she put him in her drawing room show that she curated yeah. with us many, many yeah. years ago. Um, that, that's another way. I mean, we've been turned on to some incredible artists that uh, have been brought to us by artists that we've allowed to curate shows. You know, um, Kelly Vavanko that we still work with to this day was in Blaine Fontana's Square Foot show, which uh, I think was like the one of the first years of shows we've ever done um, yeah. turned out she, she cut his girlfriend's hair and always had her work up in the salon. And he was like, Hey, you should do a piece in the show I'm doing. And, you know, we've done like six solos with her now or something like that. And she continues to you know, be a really popular artist. So there's no, no rhyme or reason to where, you know, people will be discovered. Um, Camilla D'Erico, who we did her first couple major shows. And now she's off and works with a couple other galleries now and stuff. But back in the day, like a, collector friend of mine was on a skiing trip saw her work on a on a pair of um skis sent me a jpeg of them through the phone like sent me a text was like hey man check out this girl's work you ever seen it before i'm like no he's like i can't find it anywhere he's like let me do some digging he did some digging found out her name turns out yeah she just pretty much did illustration at the time and we teamed up her and sarah jonkis who i think was 19 at the time I think Camilla was maybe a year or two within that either way. And they came out to Los Angeles, both of them, you know, from Canada for their first show. We put them up in this little bitty house together. And um, I mean, those, 
both those girls are incredibly huge, you know, pillars of the pop surrealism world now, you know, 15 years on. And, you know, we still work to Sarah to this day. She just had her first child, which to me is watching my baby sister have a a kid. It was just weird. You know, like Audrey just had a child, you know, a couple years ago. That was really weird. Stella just (laughs) had a kid. We're, We're just like, all our kids are having kids, you know, it's, um, cause we don't have kids and, um, yeah. we never really planned to, but, um, so we become, <clears throat> we become super close to a lot of these artists and it's weird to like them, see them growing up and having kids and, you know, starting their own families. It's pretty special. And knowing that they're doing that and raising their families and kids off the money that they've, you know, making off their art. And the fact that, you know, then you see their kids start doing art with them in their studios and shit. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, well, it's just growing the think space family. Like you refer to all your artists as a family, and I really like that, you know, because it is like something you just touched on is you know that relationship with the gallery uh, from the artist's perspective, and how can you really need to nurture that, and you know, you invest time, energy, experience into these young artists, and it sounds like there is, you know, even if it's going off of your incredible gut instinct to identify talent, sometimes before the artist can even identify it it seems like you do have a bit of a, a strategy there where you kind of drip feed them into the gallery, you, you know, slowly build that relationship, really try to push their talent and, you know, minimize their insecurities and give them that confidence and then build them up to solo shows and, you know, seeing what you've done with so many artists, you have been the reason for their success. And I think that's really the power of the curator and the gallery and we tend, tend to be a bit behind the scenes, you know? I mean, rightly so, the artists should take forefront and get the recognition for their work, but there is something to be said with the, the role of the curator. How would you really describe, I mean, I know you do a lot of this just based off intuition and passion, but have you ever stepped back and really tried to identify your, or define your job when somebody asks you, hey, Andrew, what do you do? Because <laughs> there's no, much more running a gallery, isn't it? <laughs> No, it's, it's wild, you know. I mean, there's a couple artists that introduce me as their boss, which I always laugh about. Um, but they mean that from a loving standpoint, like they just fully trust that, you know, we're doing the right thing. Others call me their pimp. Um, I, I think ultimately we're just, it's different for every artist. I mean, some are very self-sufficient. Some have, you know, managers or friends or loved ones that, you know, are definitely their, more their right-hand man than than, than I. And then there's others that, you know, we definitely, you know, probably talk to every few days and I'm cool with whatever scenario works for every artist. And I always tell them that you are not bugging me. Um, I'm not gonna, you know, come after you after a, a year of this and be like, man, I really feel like I'm, you know, doing a manager thing. I want 10 more percent, you know, I, I tell them in advance that that's not the case. And I, I bring up the chess move scenario that I mentioned earlier and that, you know, if I'm, truly vested in wanting to continue to grow and build with you. And, you know, we just kind of gave you like a three-year plan, which is what we usually try to do when an artist is up for it, if not a five-year plan. But I just, you know, kind of impress upon them that like, like, hey, man, you can't go and like shoot yourself in the foot on year two of this five-year plan in between, you know, show one and two if, you know, because then that derails show three, five years from now, you know, and I just kind of, you know, I explain to them and, and I take the time, I think, to try to, uh, I guess just share the knowledge of all the bullshit that we've been through over the last, you know, 15, 16 years, not to mention we've been huge collectors for 20 years and have bought and work and dealt with and seen the back end 
of just about every major space in the scene. Not to yeah. mention, I've seen I've seen just about every pillar of the scene that was influential to us, either close, go bankrupt, fuck over a bunch of artists, or basically just become complacent and just boring. You know that you know was there when we started, and now like you know people tell us like we're one of the big dogs now, and I mean it's it's amazing. Um, I mean your introduction still like rings in my ears. It's just it's wild sometimes to hear that because. We came from a place of just wanting to make a place that we felt was much like home as we could for the artists, you know, just because we had seen quite a number of places that just, you never really see a second show from anyone they work with. And it's always kind of like whatever's hot. And I, and I get that. Um, it is very much in a business, you know, you have to be watching. But I mean, we more often than not love to try to grow with somebody because i mean things can't always and then some artists that we believe in you know it might take two three shows for it to connect to where finally people see what we see and you know and i also with that said i mean usually after show three if it hasn't clicked we'll have that talk with somebody that you know or after we've done let's say seven eight twelve by twelve shows and out of one of them is sold we'll just be like look man we've got so much work and it's just not clicking we love your work but you know, it comes a time when you just have to be like, well, let's just you know, try something somewhere else and know that the door is always open here, but I don't want you to just keep, you know, rack. I mean, I get the exposure is good, but as the old saying goes, exposure doesn't pay bills, you know, and we can't force people to buy your work. So there comes a time sometimes when you just have to admit, you know, I hate to say admit defeat, but at least, you know, have that talk of like, let's, you know, try something somewhere else for a while and know that, you know, if things finally start to click, Obviously, yeah. all the work we, we did for those couple of years were part of that. So let's, you know, let's reconvene and get going. But it's not like uh, it's not like you're fired. We always I mean, I've had some artists get really bummed when we, you know, kind of stop. And I mean, but it's tough, man. I mean, that that's the toughest balance of it all, for sure, is just figuring out one sometimes to uh, uh, yeah, when, it is, when it is be- when it is best to try something else, you know, so to speak, not not so much break up, I guess, but sometimes it feels like you're doing that, you know, it's weird. And that probably is due to the fact that we are, you know, a little bit more. Yeah. A lot more. Yeah, definitely. It's a test. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. 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 So like, yeah, you're basically, like you said, you're basically getting in a relationship with these people. So it, you know, that's, but that's the, um, you know, that's, I think part of the strength of think space and what you've done is being able to build those international relationships and really quite unify a scene that wasn't really even describable. And now we can sit here and, you know, having this chat and we're sitting in a, in a subculture that has essentially been formed by very big part by ThinkSpace. And I mean, that's kind of incredible. And then definitely there's going to be a lot of challenges with that as well. And a lot of artists around the world, I'm sure, are constantly emailing you to get exhibited with you. So how do you kind of deal with that? Like the influx of submissions and, or do you have any kind of couple pointers to artists about how to even get their attention? I mean, their work uh, in front of you, you know, uh, or any gallery, you know, I'm sure that you get a lot of submissions where you're scratching your head. Like how did they, why did they submit to us? Or what's the process of that for you? Yeah. I mean, it's gotten to the point where, I mean, I, I'd say going up until about five years ago, we definitely prided ourselves on being able to get back to at least everybody we could. And now it's to the point where it's just impossible. And so many people do the the DM submission, which, ah, gosh, it's just painful. But, um, hey, you guys got any shows? And it's just like, really? Just 
what up? That's like the late night booty call submission. I call it, kind of call it, you know, it's just like, it's like, really? It's like, what do you do? What do you know about us? You know, did you, I mean, just, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> do you, do you, do you shoot, shoot target a male? Like, Hey man, needs a job this week. What up? Yeah. Uh, um, to me, it's the same thing. I mean, if this is your chosen career, have take it a little bit more professionally. And at the same time, it's like, I can't tell you how many people I'll be like, oh, yeah, our submission thing's on our website. Oh, cool, man. Can you send me a link? And it's just like, oh, uh, how, how about you just go to our profile? And I mean, seriously, man, I mean, how old are you? And, and at that point, I usually just stop. Um, and that's a, a big reason, I will be honest, why I don't even bother with the DM drop-in submission. Um, because I think any artist that's serious about being an artist for a career uh, would have the common sense and the wherewithal to just go to her you know, any said gallery's website and, and just know that the submission process is clearly there for anyone with a, uh, you know, moderate level of reading ability to check out in the fan. So, I mean, that there in and of itself, I, I think in this day and age is usually the one thing I tell artists the most is don't be a, a booty call submission. Don't, don't just drop into someone's DM with like a five, five words like, yo man, I want some shows or, Hey, you guys doing any shows or how do I get a show with you guys? It's just like, it, I, I, you know, how do you even begin to do that? And even, and it's easier to ignore than to enter into what could become 15 to 20 back and forths that could all have been answered if they just went and checked out the submission page, um, which I know in this day and age, web pages are, you know, archaic, but uh, whatever. I don't know what to say. Um, yeah, I'm not right. going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hire somebody full time to just go back and forth with you know, lazy artists on DMs, which it would become, you know, because if you enter in, I mean, I would say on any given day, we've, we get 15 to 20 of those. Um, not to mention heavier on the weekends, I think when there's more time on people's hands. And if I entered into a conversation with every one of those people, I, I, I'd be pulling out what little hair I had left, not to mention wasting far too much time on it. Um, that's why we've got a pretty in-depth, you know, like FAQ type vibe on our submissions page. And, um, we we do look at every one of them. I will say that I don't have time to get back to them all, but I do look at every one of them guaranteed. And I still, you know, to this day, we still come across some folks that where I'm like, I put them on like a watch page, you know, like I start following them on Instagram, I, you know, put them on a little Google watch or whatever. And we just keep an eye on them, you know, cause you know, like we were saying earlier, they might not be ready just yet, or maybe they've got a couple years worth of shows with, you know, some smaller galleries and I just want to see how things are doing and things of that nature. Um, it's a hard one to answer in a nutshell. Do you feel like artists have gotten a bit lazy since Instagram that they kind of the casuality of being able to contact you directly and, you know, being able just to share a link. Do you think there's been a bit of laziness in terms of following the traditional protocol to get exhibited by leading galleries? I think that sometimes I, I, I guess maybe that we are more approachable. Um, and we are kind of more out there in terms of uh, having done a number of, you know, interviews and things over the years and stuff like that and being pretty uh, no filter, I guess. Yeah. That, that uh, yeah, it, it, and I get that. But at the same time, I, I, I always go back to the notion of like, you know, if you're going to treat this as a job, treat it like a professional. And would you, you know, and I, not to use Target as a, but whatever, whatever place you wanted to have a job. Would you literally just drop in their DMs and be like, yo, man, you got any jobs today? I yeah. mean, it's just, just take the little bit of time to like put together a prop. I mean, 
I don't mind if somebody drops in my DMs and goes, hey, man, are you guys accepting submissions? Where do I need to go? I didn't see it on your website or something. And they showed that they actually took like five minutes to, to get it. And I get it. It's a couple clicks into our site. It, that, that, that's a, it's hard to say that, you know, artists are lazy yeah. is a broad stretching term. Uh, there's a lot of Instagram artists that are lazy, I think, that are just, that, you know, maybe ha- have just achieved some moderate success by just posting on Instagram. Maybe have never gone to art school or whatever, self-trained. And we've got many amazing self-trained artists. So that is not a dig against self-trained artists. Let me let me just point that out. But with that said, I just think there's a lot of artists that have become pretty popular. And now I think with the algorithm starting to cripple some of those folks, they're having to kind of branch out to find water, let's say. It's uh it's interesting, uh, for sure, because I think a lot of them just haven't ever had to, you know to do it and it's it's very obvious that some of them are very green and uh it's also very obvious that i mean you can have a million people following you telling you that that you're the you know greatest thing since sliced bread on your instagram feed but you might not be able to sell a piece ever in a gallery and i think that's a hard reality for some people to wake up to and realize too yeah yeah absolutely i mean it's very different to be successful on instagram and have a successful art career you know and i think I think that's a really good thing to note is just the value of the gallery and the curator and the value of having somebody like you um, working in partnership with these artists. You know, I think that right when Instagram came out, I remember having loads of conversations with artists being like, oh, what's the point of the gallery now? You know, we can do it direct. We don't need to give you percentages. And it, it's definitely uh, that hype time has is ended and people are realizing again um, you know, how valuable the gallery is and the curator. Did you have a, a lot of artists that you were really loyal to kind of drop off at any point? Did you have some people like, um, I mean, do you have agreements with your artists in terms of kind of making it professional and ensuring that they're, you know, applying for the job the right way and getting signed up? Do you, do you actually do agreements or are you kind of, uh, you know, your word is bond? I, I really like to work on word is bond. Um, if someone just wants to, you know, have something in writing to make themselves feel a little bit more comfortable, we do it. But it's not something that we pursue. I'm very much a, the the notion that it is a relationship. And if, you know, something falls out of it and you agree to a show, let's say a year from now, I don't want you to like, you know what I mean? To have to still do it just because I've got a piece of paper. That seems like it's going to be a pretty miserable experience for both of us. I want people to want to work with us. I want people to look forward to working with us. I want, you know, and I want the, and I, I want that in exchange. You know, I want to like working with, the, you know, people. I want it to be a, you know, a nice give and take. Uh, you know, the fact that we both understand that, you know, we're helping each other. It's very symbiotic. Yeah. How far out are you planned? Like from a, from a curator's perspective, I mean, how, how far in advance are you organizing exhibitions? Um, we're pretty much polishing up dates for the main gallery 2023 right now and then we'll go back and we've got everybody more or less on our you know chalkboard so to speak for gallery two like the up and coming younger artists mapped out now it's just a matter of going back and like you know teaming them up with the the best possible choices that are in gallery one and you know working with their schedules since you know we usually you know fine-tune the artists that are in the the main space first since it's a lot bigger ask in terms of time and um work um that's going to be required to fill the main space 
and we're working on museum shows for like late 23 and uh, late 24 already just because you know museums book a little further out um than galleries usually um so yeah we're 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 very much in the mindset of 23 and 24 already and that's barely summer 21 we're able to kind of like really show artists like how chess works you know like 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 let's do these three art fairs this year and then you know we can quietly raise your pricing you know much easier through like let's say six select works spread out over the course of a year as opposed to just doing two solo shows back to back in six months and then you know trying to lead by examples from the past since we've seen so many artists that have done the turn and burn quick like four solos in a year once things you know cash in so to speak and they want to you know chase chase the ring right away and then how much that just time and time and time and time and time again is proven to burn out of market and then going into year two or three of the the heat things cool off by no reason other than your own self-defeating you know planning (laughs) um so we, we we try to you know share with them like examples of that and show them like how you know once things really take off it's better to you know be very very mindful of each move instead of trying to you know do the quick cash and you know all of a sudden you're everywhere for the next you know six months and you know two group shows a month and you know six different countries and this that another thing and there's quite a few artists out of new york area right now or at least are coming out of the new york scene that are you know definitely just everywhere right now and um ah i mean i I love many of them collect a couple of them and i i I hope things uh maintain i guess yeah so well yeah that's the thing is that i mean what you've touched on you know i mean for everyone listening to take away is really that strategy you know and it's not going to happen overnight i think a lot of people especially in the instagram age and you know, Instagram famous, they, they expect the overnight success. Um, and, and, and a lot of people don't want to work for it. But it it's it's really refreshing to hear that, you know, there is this strategy and there's a lot of artists in your roster that are following. I want to be an artist in 30 years and I want to make sure that my art is consistent of quality and reputation and sales and, you know, to keep it, it's a slow burner. You know, it's not this kind of overnight fame and then crash and burn. So I think that's something really uh, important to consider for for young artists out there. So when is the book going to come out? The Andrew Hosner Guide to Being a Contemporary Artist. (laughs) (laughs) It would be it would be out of date by the time it came out. I think if things are changing so quickly these days, there's lots of people that want us to try to launch some sort of forum on Clubhouse, but. uh, I don't know. We've thought about it, but there's so many people that just want to hear themselves talk on there. Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a perfect platform there somewhere to, to do it. Um, because like Andy Campione from, uh, the Lancaster museum of art and history and I, and, uh, LC, um, both talk all the time, how there's just, you know, there's just no class, you know, for this and how more and more artists are, you know, self-taught and stuff. And then there's obviously no class for it other than just experience. Um, and throwing yourselves into the fire a lot of the time. Um, and between the three of us, I mean, we have a lot of you know knowledge and passion and also much different takes on it, I think, for, for each of us, um, especially like in terms of our history and our, you know, coming into the art world and what we do now. Um, that like just before COVID, we were talking about doing a monthly talk on Sundays at the space, um, like, you know, like, you know, just 
free, not going to charge artists anything, just come on in, first come, first serve, you know, probably fit a couple hundred people in. And then COVID hit. Um, so we've been talking about it. And then obviously, you know, a lot of people say Clubhouse is the perfect forum. And I, I've sat in on a number of talks and stuff like that. And um, I think the ones that have a moderator that allow people to click in and stuff like that, there's something to it. It's just a matter of figuring it out. But um, yeah. we definitely want to we definitely want to share the knowledge because um, sadly it's it's badly needed. Yeah, well, I mean, you shared quite a lot of good pointers with this one. So just give us yeah, a run. Yeah, you're working on museum show. You've got powwow, ten year anniversary show coming up. Um, what are some of the things you, you're focused on at the minute? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, like um, right now we're deep in the thick of uh, getting uh, the debut us solo show up and rocking from uh, milo out of italy um then we go right over and celebrate um 10 years of powwow with their good friends that make up powwow jasper wong and kamea and gress and amy and the whole crew and um then we pretty much that opens on the 15th that's up through the end of september um the bishop museum is the uh the oldest, most respected, like natural history museum in all of Hawaii. It's an incredible building, um, like like legit history museum, like big full size, you know, taxidermied whales hanging from the ceiling, giraffes, elephants. I mean, it's it's bananas. And then we're rocking a, a show um, in one of the galleries, and they're uh, they gave us a huge budget. Um, we were rebuilding. Um, like basically like many parts of cities and uh, parts of like Kaka'ako where the murals have always taken place over the last 10 years. And um, we've got 20, I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong because it's changed so much. 24 or 25 artists from around the world are coming in. Everyone's vaccinated and safe and sound and getting tested regularly. Um, And we're all going to be doing uh, ephemeral murals throughout the two exhibition halls. We've got a group show of 55 local artists and 65 international artists all doing two foot by two foot, uh, 60 centimeter by 60 centimeter for uh, everyone else outside of the dumb United States sized works. And, um, it's going to be a pretty incredible show and, um, we're looking forward to that. And then we've got, you know, our nonstop, you know, two show a month exhibition schedule at our new space, in the heart of Los Angeles. And in July, we're bringing over Julio Anaya Cabending from Spain for his debut uh, U.S. museum exhibition at the Moa Cedar, which is their smaller location out in the Lancaster, California area, which is kind of like the Antelope Valley desert region. And he's actually going to be getting uh, funded and uh, taken care of by the museum for a couple of weeks before the show um, as part of a, like a little bit of a desert residency where he'll be doing two or three of his site-specific uh, renditions of uh, you know art classics from the 18th and 19th centuries or before um, out in the desert, so that's going to be pretty rad. Um, and those will be photographed and part of his exhibition at the museum. And then um, Wiley Wallace, uh, that we've been working with for a number of years now, um, he's actually going to be having his debut um, museum solo exhibition at his hometown museum at the Mesa Arts Center, where we've done a couple of shows with Robert Williams and Esau Andrews and some other artists over the years. So he's got his big uh, local you know, museum debut there in September. So we're excited for that. October, we've got a big show that we're curating in Chicago with our friends at Vertical Gallery, where we have done two iterations thus far of the 100 artists kind of explosion of uh, talent that are the LAX series. 
this is going to be our first one that is going to be in the new mold. Um, and we're excited about it. And, um, we're going to continue to do those shows. They just won't be like hundred artist ones though. As I mentioned earlier in the conversation, we will have a hundred artist group show at least once a year somewhere, but with our new traveling shows where we work with, uh, galleries and friends and whatnot around the world, we're going to take anywhere, depending on the size of the gallery, but, but anywhere from 10 to 20 artists of our marquee, you know, like folks that we're definitely looking to build that, you know, have had a number of sold out shows that have a great bit of demand, but then asking them each to do anywhere from two to three smaller works in the like 20 by 20 centimeter to 40 by 50 centimeter realm. Um, like smaller works that they're not really necessarily doing any longer in their bigger shows. Um, and, you know, have kind of left a level of, you know, art patronage behind in a, in a way other than, you know, prints and stuff. So we're going to try to do these a little bit more regularly with our, you know, really in-demand artists and then be able to kind of provide like a little bit of, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term, almost like candy store of these like really hard to get higher priced in-demand artists, but giving people a chance to, uh, you know, add a smaller work. The artists are all really excited about it. It's going to be a pretty cool show for the Chicago one. I think we've got 21 artists on board. Um, everyone's doing three smaller works. I mean, Georgie Coe's in the show, Robbie Duantono, Sandra Chevrier. I mean, like, I mean, like our marquee folks are all like doing the exhibition and I think it's just going to be bananas. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I mean, this chat has been beyond inspiring and I think you've, you know, touched on a lot of really key points uh, for people. I have a little personal question from, you know, managing fairs and exhibitions myself. How, like, how the hell do you keep track of all of that? I mean, I've just tried to write down all the things you just listed off and my brain went fuzzy. So do you like, you know, what management programs are you using? Do you, are you a Google Drive kind of guy or <laughs> how do you keep track of all of this? Indica. <laughs> okay. That is how I keep track of it all. I will be blatantly obvious. I don't care in this day and age. Love it. I, 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 and I have a Word document. <laughs> and I have a Word document that's on my desktop that I print out maybe every two months that I keep updated. And then I scrawl notes on it maniacally during the two months in between updating it on the computer. And if I ever lost it, I think I'd lose my fucking mind because I am old school. Um, I don't use the notes app on my phone. <laughs> you know, I just, my wife and my uh, gallery director tries to get me, to, I think as they say, I'd step into the 21st century all the time. And uh, I, it's just how my brain works, man. I, I still have a scratch pad. Um, there's nothing more rewarding to me and my brain than scratching something off my to-do list. It wouldn't be the same to just highlight it and delete it. And um, I think I'm just a little weary of my to-do list just disappearing one day in notes and then just being utterly fucking lost. Whereas I check my to-do lists in my backpack as much as I check probably my phone and or my wallet. Um, If it's left the house, let's say, you know what I mean? So um, it's just how I keep track of shit. It's just how my brain works. And more often than not, it's mostly just up there. And it comes from kind of being an only child weirdo, I think, to a small degree. And of course, I'll, you know, have those instances where I'm like, you know, looking at my wife like she's crazy. And I've told her this and she's like, no, you've had this conversation with yourself as an only child, but you never made it down to the conversation with me. And anyone that's an only child out there knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, (laughs) So, so, yeah, so I'm a bit of a freak when it comes to that. I just I, I constantly am plotting and 
thinking of things and marketing ideas and, you know, a, a quick conversation at a, you know, an opening sometimes, uh, you know, I'll run into an artist like a month later and they'll just be like, dude, like all that shit you just burped out on me in like five minutes that night. He's like, they'll, you know, they'll just be like, oh my God, I, I started that and I made this. And, and then they'll just, they'll just be like rattling. Like to me, I didn't even like realize that that had any impact on them or on anyone, you know what I mean? But like they yeah. took everything to heart and then actually went and put a lot of it into motion you know, and how many artists just don't think to have a, you know, a shop, you know, and I'll talk to them and be like, look, man, I'm like, do you, do you sell four or five pieces a year? And they'll be like, yeah, and I'm like, then you can have a fucking shop, man. I'm like, if you're selling any amount of work, there's, and you have over, let's say, I don't know, even over 500 people that follow you regularly on some socials, you can, you can make some money uh, and you'll be surprised. And then if you start selling, you know, works for, over $500 regularly, you, you'd be surprised what you can sell for a hundred bucks doodled on a piece of paper, you know, because if somebody's going to pay, you know, 75 to a hundred bucks for a print that a hundred other people have, they're going to pay 75 to a hundred bucks for a little piece of paper that you would probably think was just crap. And if you get in the rhythm of putting said little piece of paper up at least every couple days a week, all of a sudden, like your studio rent's being paid by, you know, your shop, or all of a sudden your rent rent and your studio rent's being paid by your shop, or all of a sudden you can afford to have an actual fucking studio, you know, things of that nature. And then as you start to, you know, become more and more entrenched in, you know, doing shows or whatever it is that pays the bills, that stuff becomes more actual income and not paying the bills as they say. I mean, paying the bills is obviously income, but it's nice to actually have bills covered and an income coming in to where I'm like, oh, okay, we can travel now. We can, maybe I can go be at my shows now and not just have, you know, the show pay for my trip, you know, like have all the basic shit paid for by prints, buttons, stickers, you know, I mean, and with that said, I mean, the, the glorious new world, which we haven't even touched on. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole because I don't really give two fucks about because I feel it is for artists. I feel galleries getting involved are just greedy. And I'll say it here and I'll say it now. And I don't give a fuck. It. There's no reason for galleries to get involved in the NFT world. There just isn't. I think it's very much a tool for artists to be able to make money and do their thing. With that said, is it a good tool? I don't fucking know. I think it still remains to be seen. I think it just, there needs to be a great cleansing of platforms, especially with some of the shit like the Nifty Gateways getting away with and stuff like that, that you just saw go down over the last couple of days. And since this might not air for a while. It's a whole other thing, but just, um, there's just a whole bunch of weird nefarious shit going on out there as with any new type of driven platform. So, um, with that said, be careful, do your due diligence. Don't buy into all the nonsense of the, if you're wearing a t-shirt or got a print on your wall, that burned a whole lot more energy than making an NFT, but past that. And now that the fact that there's NFT clean platforms coming out and stuff of that nature, or the, you know, considered clean compared to the others but what can a gallery really bring to it other than maybe like a little bit of an engine but i i don't know um we've been approached to curate and do some other stuff and we're, we're staying out of it um that's just my personal take on it um i think it's a great way for artists you know to make some money but with that said it's just as much of a crapshoot as having a sold out solo solo show i think for about a week there, I think anyone thought that if they got a NFT up, they'd be overnight millionaires because so-and-so did it and yada, yada, yada. But um, that's not the case. And I think that's being proven on a daily basis now um, since there's, you know, thousands that are coming out daily now that don't even get a bid. It's getting drowned. So there needs to be some curatorial, you know, something coming into play. 
And I think, you know, the industry will figure itself out within the, you know, the next three to six months, if not uh, the next six to 12. It's, it's, it's interesting to see. Uh, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's funny as fuck to see, you know, sketches on Saturday Night Live and everything else. It's like, you know, it takes you back to when Katie Kirk was trying to figure out what email was today show i mean it's uh it's a, it's a new plateau um it's exciting um it's not one that worries me personally we have been asked that like oh are you worried that people aren't going to want you know physical art and i'm like well i hope i don't live to see that day is that day going to happen sure i 100 percent believe that i think you'd have to be naive to not realize that but that's you know i mean watch a three four episodes of black mirror and uh you know your perception of things will definitely change because that to me is a uh a documentary show <laughs> in many more ways than a uh, science fiction show. Uh, um, it's definitely just a so just a little ahead of its time in terms of what it's documenting, but it's definitely where we're headed. We love the physical. I think that's why. I mean, for many many years, I stayed in the music industry once everything went digital because I was working in the metal world, and heavy metal fans are very much physical beings. Still, they still want that limited edition LP. They still want that limited edition item. You know, they still want that T-shirt. Whereas people that listen to, uh, you know, pop music and top 40 don't. And that's kind of how I can almost make correlations between the art world. You know, like people that still love the gift that is art that artists have and being able to bring something from nothing, everything that, you know, is their gift. People that can still respect and like almost to a small degree worship that gift are never going to lose grip of wanting a physical piece. Well, Andrew, it's been amazing. It's been such a pleasure. You've brought so much insight and experience to this first podcast, The Monica Culture. I'm absolutely so pleased with how it's gone. And yeah, just thank you so much for from the scene itself and from being a part of it since I was a teenager, just watching what you've done. I just thank you for just being so consistent, so authentic, and just keeping it real without all the hype. And I think a lot of artists and other curators can learn a lot from that approach. So on behalf of Urban Art, I thank you. And on that note, thanks, Andrew, so much. Um, and we'll speak soon. Thank you, Tina. And I hope that we actually all get to uh, play and hang out together very, very soon. Oh, me too. I'll come, for, I'll come to Cali for some of that Indica. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. I'll have it ready. <laughs> okay. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. If you have enjoyed our discussion, show your support by following us on Instagram at Moniker Art Fair, or if you can spare a moment, please leave a five-star review or positive rating. Thank you so much for joining us. See you next time here at Curators of Culture.